We're continuing our practical prayer series. Today's talk is going to be a shortened talk. You'll hear less from me, for which I am grateful. And you'll hear from some others, as well as, uh, you know, we've been ending our service right on the dot, about, you know, 45, at 11.45, give or take. And um, I think it's been great for us as a congregation. You get just the essential message, and you hear from better people than myself. And uh, this is a great way to do church together. You know, learning how to pray has been very practical. It's been a very practical series for us. We started off with the Lord's Prayer. We learned about praying in an inner secret place, how it's necessary to set aside a space. After that, we learned a prayer of examine, which I myself have been doing now every night. I don't mean to say this as a boast, um, but I've, I physiologically feel the effects so we're going on something seven times three, 21. So maybe 20, 25 days consecutively every night and every morning I've done an examine. And um, I tell you what, Sunday night before I boarded the plane on Monday morning, especially when I know I have to wake up at 4 a.m. to catch the flight, I'm always a little bit like, all right, you know, let, you know what do I want to do to take the edge off? Um, just to kind of relax before I have to wake up early, whether it's watch a movie or, you know, or, you know eat, eat a lot of food or something. And, you know, I, we, we could get a little bit more explicit with that. But the thing is, I've, I realized within myself this past Sunday, I feel really calm. I feel like I'm ending my day. I say my prayers. I'm in bed and I'm just ready to, you know, maybe read a book or something and just go to, go to sleep. And physiologically, I didn't feel jumpy as I usually do. And I think that's the effects of, of this um, regular practice of, of every night just saying those words, God, I'm grateful for this day. Shed your light and show me what I need today. And so on and so forth. And that's, that's, that's how I've benefited from it. Even when I was in Chicago, I'd make sure to step out of my hotel room and I found a quiet place. And if, if just for five minutes or ten minutes or however long, um, saying those words of the examine really helped me a lot. It helped me a lot. You go to these conferences and professional, think of your own professions, and eventually you start sizing yourself up. And that's not a good place to be. And a prayer like this really helps, really helps to calm yourself. After that, we learned how to pray throughout the day, meditative prayers. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, the Jesus prayer, and others. That I've also been applying throughout the, way, throughout the week, um, learning how to pray meditatively all throughout the day. Today, I'd like to teach um, a new prayer. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a canned prayer, so to speak. Take it or leave it. If it helps, use it. If it doesn't, then just you know, let it go. I hope something in this will bless you. Um, it is called the Third Step Prayer of AA. And I'm going to explain this a bit. The Third Step Prayer of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, we're not preaching Alcoholics Anonymous here, and I do want to give some foundation. Alcoholics Anonymous was founded from a Christian group. This is, this is, this is clear. This is public knowledge. The Christian group is called the Oxford Group, which began out of the Protestants with revivals in the late 1800s in England. So the Keswick Revival happened, and that influenced a group of Christians who started something called the Oxford Movement in the United States. One of the key tenets and principles of the Oxford Movement was, was, was uh, I guess, laying self aside and allowing God to move. Laying self aside, it sounds 
quaint, but actually it's a very powerful principle. Um, for those of you that know psychology, I think there's a reason why Jung, Carl Jung, uh, was affiliated with, with, was well, not affiliated, but uh, was, was uh, connected during this time because he also was, was uh, I guess, a forebear in, in talking about the ego. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not a specialist in this area. I don't claim to be. But the point that I'm trying to make is this biblically grounded movement would give birth to a couple of down and outers and a couple of guys who are trying to find a way to stay sober. And through finding the Oxford movement, this principle of letting yourself, putting yourself aside and learning to let God in, actually transformed and, and, and they became... Dr. Bob and Bill, as, 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 as uh, they're famously known. So, some people have a hard time with that. Maybe some of you might, be, might, might feel uncomfortable. Why are we talking about AA? Um, it's, I think, very biblically grounded, and I think that the third step prayer especially is an important foundation for this notion of surrender. So, we sang that song, um, I need you, Lord, I need you. Um, we sang about surrender. Here are the words that I think help in that actual discipline of daily, daily surrender. It goes like this. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will, not my will, thy will always. Amen. So that prayer, I've memorized it um, over actually several years now. It's available online, and um, Chan recites it, and you can find it on our practical prayer page. And um, it's a wonderful, wonderful prayer to recite throughout the day. But I'm not going to preach AA. I'm going to preach Scripture today, the biblical basis for this prayer. Three headings, the biblical basis for surrender. Secondly is a few stories about surrender. And that's when I'm going to invite Jenny up to share her testimony about surrender. And the third is a challenge for us to surrender today. So the first heading, biblical basis for surrender. The biblical basis is Luke chapter 22, verse 42 Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine, yours, be done. This is just before Jesus went to the cross and was crucified. Death for him was imminent. He knew what was coming. He knew, he knew the, the suffering that he was about to go through. And everything within him that was human said, God, I don't want to do this. Father, if it's possible... If it's possible, hear this, this is God himself. We believe as Christians, Jesus was God himself, but still the humanness within him crying out saying, I wish there were another way. Throughout ancient times, some believed that Jesus and the Father had one will. In other words, Jesus was a robot. He had no self-will. He had no self-identity in that regard. All he did was obey, obey, obey. This verse explicitly shows us that he had, he, he had a will. He had a very human will, and that human will said, I really don't want to happen. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to go through this. And it goes to show us that Jesus, being very fully human, st 
still, in the end, said, yet not my will, but thine be done. Thine be done. So human saying, I don't want this, I don't want this, but in the end, surrendering. The biblical basis for surrender is no one but our Lord and Savior Jesus Himself. I don't want this, but thy will be done. I think there's three things we can learn from this. First of all, it's okay to be scared. That's the first fill in the blank. It is okay to be scared. Further on, it says in verse 44 that Jesus, being in agony, was praying very fervently. Lord knows what he was praying. But in his fervency, maybe he was wrestling with, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. The pain, can I do this? So much so that his sweat was like drops of blood. It's okay to be scared. If Jesus himself, not a robot, yes, master, I will do what you tell me. No, being very human and scared, then it's okay for us to be scared. It's okay for us to be scared. The second thing I think we can learn from this statement, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. The second thing, inner conflict is normal. I think this shows us that even our Lord wrestled. He had a will. He was not a robot. You all have wills, free wills. And to wrestle within yourself and to have conflict within ourselves It's normal. It's normal. It's very normal. You should not be able to make the hurdle or make the difficult decisions just like that. You're supposed to wrestle. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. That's the process of surrender. Surrender is hard. There are many little surrenders that we do, but the surrender that we sang about today, it's going to result in discomfort. It's going to result in a in a challenge and a clash of wills. And that is normal. Actually, it's a sign that you are in the process of surrender. If you're feeling the inner conflict, and as you pray, so we're learning how to pray, as you're praying and you're saying, I really don't want to do that, but okay. I really don't want to do that, but okay. That's a sign that there's a surrender taking place. But I think the third application, the third fill in the blank is, the third thing we can learn from this is that In the end, surrender is still the best option. Surrender is still the best thing that you and I can do. And I want to share a few stories, well, just one story, and then invite Jenny to come up and share her story about surrender. To to show you kind of how surrender for me in a bit of vulnerability and how um, the process of how I had inner conflict and how how I had inner conflict, how I prayed through it, and how eventually I think I made the right choice and surrender still turned out to be the best thing. Well, this happened about two months ago, two or three months ago. It was, uh, I guess this was November. You all remember when I was supposed to be away for a week um, over the weekend on Sunday. And, uh, And then I showed up at church and you're like, what gives? You're still here. Um, during that time, I was supposed to be traveling, and um, I'll tell you a little bit about what was going on there. But first, let me say that for me to do what I am doing as a pastor, um, f- 
I have a strong sense of drive. I have a little bit of ambition. Maybe even competitiveness. And for me, as I struggle through this and my calling and doing what I'm doing, there's no doubt about it. Being where I am long-term right here in Houston, no doubts about it. But as a person that's wanting to grow and, and in my own way, wanting to, wanting to climb the ladder, so to speak, it finally came to a head back in November as I was supposed to make a trip out to Seattle um, to serve on a board meeting for the Asian Pastors Association of the entire denomination. The Asian Pastors Association is one significant part of the denomination. Um, all of the minority groups in the covenant are growing. Just this past week, um, I saw the Asian representation expanding. A lot of young 20-year-old pastors are joining the denomination. And I serve as the vice president. And um, we were supposed to have week-long meetings. And then after that, I was supposed to actually, and that, exp that was all expenses paid. So th this is, you know, pretty important. Flight, everything was covered. And then from there, I had another board meeting that I had to attend where from Seattle, I was, I was to fly directly to Chicago and serve on another board, which it just got ratified this past week that I am now the vice chair of the national nationwide board of, board of denominations, board of nominations, board of nominations for the entire denomination. Just as several of, our, several of our people right here in this room, Frank, John, Sang, are serving on the nominations for the leadership of our church, I serve on the, the nominations, nominations committee for the denomination to um, nominate people to serve on the board of universities, hospitals, our hospital, our retirement center, um, our pension fund, and all of this. That was also an all-expenses-paid trip where I would be in the same room working with the executives of the denomination. It also happened that during that time, I was going through a rough patch with my family. Um, and everybody knows this. Well, maybe not you, but most church planters in our profession, we know that church planting is grueling work. Something happens when you church plant. Um, you have to take care of your marriage. And you have to take care of your family. But something, sometimes when there's conflict at work, sometimes where there's, you know, we see a few, it's no secret, we've seen a few families leave during that period of time. It was very difficult. Uh, very, I was very, very discouraged. And sometimes marriages, and I'll just offer this by way of advice, be on the same team. Be on the same team always. Don't turn against each other. Sometimes the kids make us turn against each other. Sometimes... Be on the same team. And we turned on each other and we began to quarrel. And when I was supposed to travel was about the height of the time when we were going through that rough patch, my wife and I. And I was talking with a friend and he said, Wayne, I don't think you should be traveling right now. I think you have to be home. And I said, you don't understand. I'm an important person. I have to be there. I'm going to be there with the president, Gary Walter himself. They're expecting me there. And he said, yeah, I know it sucks, but you have to surrender this. And I thought about it, and I really fought. 
and I said, maybe I'll go to Seattle and let go of the tail end, or vice versa. I'll, go to, I'll, I'll let go of Seattle, and I'll go to Chicago. And I wrestled, and I felt the discomfort, and I began to pray this prayer, Lord, okay, I'll just say this, God, I offer myself to Thee. Build with me. Right now, you're working with me, not with them. Build with me. Do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And by then, and as I was doing this a couple of times, I knew what I had to do. And after a couple of times praying this, I got ready. My wife was coming home from work, and I prepared to tell her. And I still wasn't sure. I I was thinking she would say, no, you're fine. You don't have to do that for me. Just go. Actually, no, no. This was one of those times where I really had to stay. And she came home, and she said, hey. (laughs) And I said, honey, please sit down. And I said, I want to let you know that I'm not going to go to Seattle and I'm not going to go to Chicago because you are the fount of everything that I do. My ministry is nothing, nothing without you. You and the kids are number one. And so I'm going to call Mr. President of Kappa, all the denominational executives, and just tell them I can't go and tell them why. I'm going to be honest. And my wife glared at me. And then she cracked, and then she broke down sobbing, heavy, heavy sobs. And then I went over and I hugged her. And since then, we've, I, I want you to know that we're in a healthier place now. We've committed to, um, we've committed to dating every week. Um, every Monday at noon after work, I meet her. We go out to lunch together. We just talk away from the children and away from their interruptions. After that, we go for a run together. And then once a month, we go out on a date. Um, and there's a shift in my brain now where, yeah, you guys are important. I love every single one of you guys, but my wife and kids are more important than you. And that's really, I think, strengthened our marriage. But let me tell you, that surrender was still hard because after that, I had to actually pick up the phone and tell them why. And you know what they all told me? Every single one of them from the top down said, you're making the right choice. Stay home. Stay home. Stay home and take care of your family. The surrender is hard, but when you're doing it the right way, people will recognize. And there's no shame. There's no shame in that. There's sh- we think that, you know, it'll make me look bad. There's no shame. There's no shame. And I'll say this, one last fill-in-the-blank before I invite Jenny up. That fill-in-the-blank is this. You know this thing about surrender? Wow, great. I can celebrate two months ago that victory. But the thing is, surrender is kind of like this. Last month's surrender is just about as good as last month's shower. Last week's surrender is as good as last week's shower. Yesterday's surrender is as good as yesterday's shower. What does it mean to be a Christian, friends? It means we have to experience this process of letting go and letting God in every single day. It means dying to myself and letting something go so that Christ can live and the better things can happen. With that, I'm going to invite Jenny up to share her testimony of surrender. And... um, Come on in. Yeah. Didn't mean to cut in front of you there. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. 
Hey guys. Okay, so oh, I'm gonna try to try to get through this without crying. <laughs> okay. So it's been weighing on my heart to share my mom's story and also my own recent testimony with you all. Many of you have walked with me through this most heartbreaking season of my life. Okay, Psalm 9-1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. This testimony is my way of publicly giving thanks and sharing God's wonderful deeds. Um, so back in June 2014, my mom, Eunice Kim, was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer with metastasis to her bones and lungs. Ultimately, treatment failed, and God said no to her prayers for a miracle, but his perfect will was completed. She was called home at 10.20 a.m. on Sunday, October 4th, 2015. It was a beautiful day. A cold front had just swept through, so it was cool and crisp outside, and the morning had brought the most breathtaking of sunrises. And of course, it made so much sense that my mom would make her transition heavenward on her favorite day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. It was a precious day indeed. Heaven gained a faithful saint. Just an hour before my mom's last breath, I was in the gardens below. There was an enormous oak tree in the middle that took center stage and provided a great deal of shade. I thought about how it symbolized my mom's presence in my life. But then as I walked along the perimeter of the garden, in one back corner, I noticed there was an equally impressive oak tree. But this one had many smaller trees, shrubs, bushes, vines, and flowers that seemingly nestled into it and found protection under its branches. Now this oak tree more accurately portrayed my mom. Her presence was Jesus to so many people who were hurting and in need. She had a gentleness of spirit that attracted a great number of people. My mom was a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. This was so because she was deeply rooted in the word. She read the Bible any chance she could. I remember she would wait in my high school cafeteria while I was finishing up after school activities. I would find her intensely reading the Bible and I would be embarrassed. <laughs> say, Oma, why are you reading the Bible here? In my mind, it was such an uncool public thing to do. My mom has left behind countless Bibles that have been highlighted, underlined, and marked up. These are precious heirlooms of faith for me. The last Christmas we celebrated together was in 2014, and by request, I got her a new Bible. By the time she had passed, 10 months later, most of this brand new Bible was already read through and marked up. It now sits on my desk as a reminder of the life she lived. I firsthand witnessed a life spent wholeheartedly devoted to prayer and scripture and to the church. My mom always told me that her greatest prayer for her children was that we would live our lives to glorify God. She didn't care much if we were successful in our careers or made lots of money or married well. 
She only really cared that we knew God and lived a purposeful life glorifying him. My mom was her greatest example. She loved the church so much. Time spent at church were her happiest moments. She cleaned toilets, scrubbed the kitchen, took out the trash, tidied up pews, folded bulletins, prepared meals, counted offering, all for the glory of God. Even when there was a rat infestation, she spent each Friday evening there praying through the night. We practically lived at our home church. It's where I literally grew up. The only time she would speed on the road was when she was trying to get to church. She was easily, easily the first one there and last one to leave, usually to prepare and clean up. I remember on rainy Houston days, she would worry because her church was notorious for leaky roofs. As soon as she could, she would race to church to, to strategically lay out buckets under each leaky spot. That's how well she knew the building. And she knew, and she knew the needs of each struggling church member even better. She was a great listener and nurtured countless souls, especially other women. There was such depth and sincerity to her love and care. I remember that she would pursue the most socially cast out and dejected woman in our shame-based Korean culture. My mom was too busy caring for the needs of others to care much for how she dressed, what car she drove, or what house she lived in. She was truly Jesus' hands and feet, and she knew what mattered in this life. But this life of faith wasn't birthed overnight. It was cultivated over a lifetime of surrender. When she was 30, like me, she also lost her mom to stomach cancer. Soon after, we moved to Houston from Korea, pretty much against her will. And then she found herself pregnant with her third child in a new country where she didn't know the language and the culture and had little resources. It was during this time that she came to a profound understanding of her sinfulness and God's overwhelming loving kindness. It forever altered the trajectory of her life. As the wife of the eldest son, there were many cultural expectations placed on her. She pretty much had the role of serving my dad's family. She was ridiculed and reprimanded for not participating in ancestral worship. She was not treated well by my dad's four sisters, and she missed her family in Korea terribly. She was lonely and without friends. Add to that the struggle of raising three young children in a foreign country. She clung to God. He was her refuge and strength. She and my dad continued to experience financial hardship throughout most of their lives. But despite this, they helped finance a new church building by pulling a second mortgage and donating the funds. My mom's faith caused her to do some pretty extreme and unreasonable things. My mom was so excited for a church plant and prayed diligently for us. Woven Church held a special part of her heart because she came to faith through the first church plant in her small farming village in South Korea. As obedient of a daughter as she was, she would sneak out of the house to attend church all throughout middle school because her parents were disapproving. She was the first believer of her entire family, a pioneer of faith for the family she came from and the family she would raise. Because she felt behind, in a sense, she hungrily consumed God's word and fervently built up storehouses of prayer for us. One question I asked my mom in her last months was if there was anything she was hoping for during her, remi her remaining time here on earth. She simply said no. I pressed her further. And what about another grandchild? Or to see Joyce and Danny get settled into married life? Or to see Johnny get married? 
and her repeated response is no. My mom had become so accustomed to repeatedly surrendering all her earthly desires throughout her life. That it was also the case as death was nearing. She did not care for earthly experiences, gain, status, or wealth. My mom's life and death can be summed up by Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. She was fiercely single-minded for Jesus. I have yet to meet anyone as determined as she was. Acts 20.24 says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My mom literally spent her last words and energies on evangelizing to her unbelieving, unbelieving siblings in Korea and extended relatives here in Houston. She considers her greatest life achievements to be sharing the gospel with her mom, dad, and brother, and them accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior before they died. One of the last lessons my mom taught me was to surrender to the Lord. And this is where it gets really personal. For the first six months, Of 2015, June and I struggled with being unable to conceive. We became so obsessed with the thought of the second baby. We tried different fertility treatments, and it was months of disappointment that cut our hearts in a particularly cruel way. After one of the last unsuccessful cycles, I came running home to my mom, unable to hold back my tears. She held my hand so tenderly and prayed for me. But she didn't pray for what I wanted. I wanted success in this next round of treatment. I wanted a baby, and I wanted one now. Instead, in her wisdom, she prayed that I would fully surrender my desires to God. My mom pleaded with God that my will would submit to his in every circumstance. We decided after this to not pursue any more treatment. It took a long time and much inner debate, but come November, a few months back, I was finally able to proclaim with all sincerity, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. I remember sharing with my closest girlfriends during that time that I had truly given up this desire to God. Not long after, a couple days before Thanksgiving, I found out that I'm pregnant. <laughs> so June and I are delighted to share with you all that we're expecting a baby boy in July. Some of you may be wondering how I've been doing since my mom's death. I'll be real honest with you. Oh 
There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my mom. There's a longing in my soul that will never be satisfied on this side of heaven. And there's an aching and hollowness of heart that nothing on earth can remedy. I want to hold my mom's hand, take a walk around the neighborhood, and share life with her as I've always done. I want her to pray over me in a way only she can. I want to run home and call, call out Alma once more. I want her to see how much Daniel has grown in the past four months. I want her to be with me in the delivery room. I want her to see my brother get married. There is still so much life I want to live with my mom. But God lovingly said no. My oak tree in life has been uprooted. The inner depths of my soul have been stripped. But surprisingly, in the space of poverty is where I've been the most richly blessed. Is God good? Is he still good after all this? My answer is a resounding, unshakable yes. My faith has been sifted under the most heartbreaking of circumstances, but God has never forsaken me. Rather, he beckons me closer, draws me deeper. Every time Bobby and the worship team lead us in singing, Good, good father, I weep. <laughs> You're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. You're perfect in all your ways to us. Love so undeniable, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I can hardly think as you call me deeper still into love, love, love. These are hard-earned truths I will proclaim with tears streaming down my face because I've lived it and I know it. I've experienced such sweetness of fellowship with the Lord since my mom's passing. There's a deep yearning in my heart for more of God. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Yes, I will wait for God. I have become, un I have become comfortable with the sadness and yearning in my heart. It reminds me that there is a future glory that has yet to be fulfilled. This place is not my home. Jesus has yet to return to fulfill all that was promised. All things will be made new. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So these are my to-dos as I move forward in this grief. One, I make it an exercise to unglue my eyes and heart from the trivial nothings of the here and now. I train myself to think on heavenly things. And two, I strive to always abound in working for the Lord. 
to try to fulfill some of my mom's prayer that you know, we would glorify God with our lives. You all have come up alongside me when these efforts have proved difficult. God has been so good to give me this community. Thank you all from the bottom of my broken heart for journeying, journeying with me. Many of you came to my mom's funeral. You guys have fed our stomachs and filled our hearts. You've checked in on me, sometimes a bit awkwardly, but always with genuine care. Weekly, I have come to this place, and I've been embraced by family. We may not know each other well, but the blood of Christ ties us together forever. The sermons have encouraged and challenged me, and perhaps most healing of all, the corporate praise has uplifted my soul, anchored my faith, and has made me strong for each week ahead. A special thank you for Bobby and team for leading us in soul-stirring praise every Sunday. Interestingly enough, it's in these moments of praising God together that I feel closest to my mom. The Psalms repeatedly speaks of praising God from the heavens above and the earth below. When we are worshiping, I know we are doing exactly the same thing my mom is currently doing. I love having that connection with her. And I also want to specifically mention Pastor Wayne and Ashley. They have been there for me on call and constantly in prayer throughout this entire journey. I called Pastor Wayne when I knew my mom's death was imminent and I asked him to be present for the wake and funeral. I knew I would need my pastor in those moments. He came early and stayed late for both. I've called Ashley in tears, stopped by our house in tears so many times, and I've always been embraced. She has known the depths of my heartbreak and has faithfully stood beside me. They both have taken on my anxieties and pain as their own. Pastor Wayne and Ashley, thank you for being my watchful shepherd and true friend. So I'll sum up my testimony and end, up, end with these words from the hymn, Blessed Assurance. It goes like this. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am I in my Savior and am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Thanks, guys. Sorry for crying. <laughs> I'd like to invite you this time to close your eyes. There is a third and last setting, it is the challenge. But instead of writing something down, think it out. Pray it out. What is it at this time that you sense God wants you to surrender? Maybe it's an anxiety that you have. Maybe it has something to do with work. Maybe it has something to do with a relationship. What is it that God is asking you to give up or repent? Let me rephrase that question. Maybe instead of thinking about that, think about this. What is that one thing that I am holding on to really, really tightly right now? <laughs> God, anything but that. Anything but that. Don't touch that. That's mine. Well, well let me see what you're hiding over there. No, 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 no. That's mine, God. What is that thing? 
At this time, I want to invite you to pray. Maybe even find a physical act of worship if you want. Maybe kneel, maybe stand, maybe hold a hand up, hold the hand out. But find a way to express and say, God, help me to surrender this. Take a moment to pray. Lord God, we come before you in fear and trembling, knowing that you accept us. I pray on behalf of all the people here, I'm holding on to something, God. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, something that has to do with relationship or work or life, but I'm holding on to something and lead me into an unclenched moment. You've brought us into this holy place where we see the image of surrender. We see what we must do. Lead me now, Lord, into an unclenched moment. There is something, Lord, that I just, not that one, don't want to give up. Lead me now into an unclenched moment. If you could open your eyes and if we could pull the third step prayer on the screen. Let's say this prayer together out loud and we'll enter into a time of communion. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen.